I think it took me time to learn that in order to have a successful enterprise, it's a long haul. It's a much longer haul than I thought it would be and that I wanted it to be. And therefore, I think I called time on it too soon in the sense that I didn't give it a chance. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. Hey, you got with you today, the Knucklehead, Stephen. And I've got Mr. O'Connor, Joseph O'Connor with me today. He's joining us. He's joining us from across the Atlantic Ocean over there in the UK. So, John, uh, excuse me, Joseph. I, I I did that like six times now. I've called, I've called, I've almost called you Jonathan. <laughs> Talk about being a knucklehead. This guy's got a down pat. So, Joseph, I appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today, buddy? Thanks, Stephen. No, I'm doing fine, thanks. It's a cold, dark evening here in London. So, is that different than any other normal uh, winter evening there in England? Is it, or is it always kind of cold and dark? Um, some are colder and darker than others. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I can understand there, there that. There are fine distinctions of weather of cold and darkness in England that we, we're very aware of. Understood. Understood. Well, I mean, I'm talking to you from Texas, where when it gets below 60 degrees Fahrenheit, we, we don't know how to function out here. So if it gets if it gets to be that cold, we're, we don't know what to do with ourselves, myself included. So I, it's a little bit of self-deprecating humor to say cold is 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not really the case, but it is for us Texans sometimes. I'll tell you that much. Um, so Joseph, I I appreciate you blocking some time. So for those of you who are listening, uh, Joseph and I were just kind of catching up a little bit. I kind of gave him, you know, the origin story of what happened with, with knucklehead and and essentially what the idea of of sharing some of the mistakes and the screw ups, uh, you know, in the business, in the context of business and even some of the relationships associated with business and what that's led to in terms of opportunities and success that you've, you know, been able to achieve uh, in your life as a result of some of the screw ups. And uh, it's funny, I'm telling you, this happens all the time when you when you send an email to somebody that you you do not intend that email to go to. It's not it, it happens probably more often than what we like to admit. So it's funny, Joseph, I, I don't want to completely tell your story, but it sounded as if you kind of chuckled to yourself remembering a time where that took place. Well, yes, I, I sent an email to 4000 people that I didn't mean to. <laughs> it's that horrible, horrible moment. How did that happen? I've got to ask that. You, when you told me that before, I was like, I want to ask him this in the episode. Like, how, did, how, did, how did that happen? Was it just a, you sent a mass email or, or what took place? No, it, it was a list. And this was some years ago. And I really didn't have the um, technical capabilities to be able to distinguish between sending emails to a list and not to a list. I that certainly taught me to be very, very careful with technology because once it's gone, it's gone and that's it. And um, it doesn't matter to the computer whether it sends it to a million or whether it sends it to the person that, that you want it to. So it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't an awful thing. Uh, I ended up actually <laughs> learning a lot about uh, lists and um, actually, well, fending off uh, some some annoyed emails from people and apologising to everyone, saying, you know, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And it was okay, but it, it certainly taught me something. And now I have a, a four-minute delay on my emails. It, okay, that's exactly. So what, thank you for that disclaimer. So at the tail end of what you how you wrapped up that story, I've heard something similar before. And when I say similar, meaning... 
uh, what we call in the Marine Corps corrective action. So you take the corrective action towards the whatever the action was. If you don't want that result to take place again, <laughs> to yeah, use the phrase yeah. that you were talking about, making the same mistake twice, just if you made that mistake, then what corrective action can you implement as a control there? And it sounds as if it gave you the ability to to respect not just the delay, but then also just kind of the, uh, know what happens after you press the button. That happens in technology quite a bit where you're like, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. I obviously screwed the pooch there by sending that email. But the context it's behind it. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? You, you, pre, you press send and then you go, well, oh, no, come, come back. And it never does. Yeah. It's almost like the edit button on Twitter. But yeah, the four, the four minute delay now I have on everything. I learned a lot about uh, lists and um, it's okay. I mean, we all make mistakes. I think that the trick is to not to make the same one twice. It's a very good point. You know, as we began this conversation, that was one of the things that you that you pointed out. You know, it, so long as you're able to not make the same mistake twice or you work to not make that happen, generally, you know, things are going to be okay. Can you walk us through why you, you potentially arrove to that conclusion? I mean, was there was there a time where maybe more than one mistake was made or the same mistake was made more than once that you observed that it didn't work out well for folks? Yeah, well, I mean, nothing about a mistake. We're all going to make mistakes, right? We don't intend to. We have the best of intentions. We do our best and still things screw up. And that's just the way things are. I mean, you, you can do something stupid and you realize it, but also you can do something which you think is great. And then it turns out later it really wasn't so great because things didn't turn out the way you thought. And then you say, oh, I should have seen the red flag. But then red flags are only seen usually in hindsight. You know, when, you, when you're looking ahead, you only see green flags. When you look back, the other side of the green flag is red <laughs> and you think you should have seen it, but you don't. So there, there, there's those things. But there's also, at least my experience, is that if you, if you make a more general sort of mistake, and you keep making it, eventually the universe seems to tap you on the shoulder and it increases the odds so that every time you make it, things get a little bit worse until you have to confront yourself and go, you know, I'm going to have to stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking more about treating people in a particular way or a particular kind of management style or, or something like that, which, you know, as long as you get away with it, it's okay. But then, I don't know, it seems like it gets ramped up until in the end you go, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I've got to, I've got to stop. Sure. Well, I, it is an example uh, in my profession, right? So in, in sales, the absolute probably, I don't want to say cardinal sin, but the one of the things that you, you could probably afford to get away with for a short period of time is missing forecast, right? Or you put together in your CRM some type of, uh, of context around the opportunities that you're managing. And, you know, there's an entire department that relies on you, the accuracy of that particular forecast. And so you can you can really cause seismic shifts within the organization with not getting those things right. So to your point, you don't want to you don't want to continue to make the same mistake one quarter and then obviously have the same thing happen again the following quarter because you're probably not going to get the third. You know what I mean? Just doesn't just doesn't work very well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. In the context of uh, of the business that you're in and the experience that you've had, Joseph, what, can you talk through, you know, some examples of some screw ups or some mistakes that you've observed really affect uh, growth and inertia and momentum in business? Or is that something that you're prepared to chat through? Sure. Yeah. Save the save the name of the guilty parties, although the guilty party is mostly me in these instances. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm, I'm an executive coach. And I'm also an entrepreneur in the sense I like to 
to um, go into different sorts of, of ways of coaching self-development businesses. I've done a, did something around coaching academy, ROI coaching, um, a number of different sorts of things. And this is what I found that in the way that I operate, I was a bit like a, a cook that when you've cooked the meal, not interested in eating it, so that I put a lot of thought into these projects. And then once they came off, I'm going, okay, now I'm going on to the next one. And without seeing through the one that I just started, which left me early on with a, a trail littered with, with half-realized dreams, half-realized ideas and companies that could have been something um, if, I'd, if I'd kept going with it. But um, somehow I didn't. It's like, oh, I've done that. And then I'll go on to the next one. And so that was a shame. Interesting. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing to conclusion to come to uh, based off of just the analysis that you just did. Have you seen that there was some consistencies in the way that may, potentially you dismissed the opportunity? I mean, you put a lot of thought into it to use your words and there was probably viability there or an opportunity to, for it to grow. Was it an attitude, a general attitude, or was it maybe you you analyzed the market in conjunction with those thoughts that prevented you from taking that risk? Yeah, I, I'm not sure, actually. I think a, a lot of it was to do with, um, I think it took me time to learn that in order to have a successful enterprise, it's a long haul. It's a much longer haul than I thought it would be and that I wanted it to be. And therefore, I think I, I called time on it too soon in the sense that I didn't give it a chance. I don't know, of course, if, if I'd given it more of a chance, whether it would have succeeded or not. I can never tell. Sure. But looking back, I think that uh, it would have been better to devote more time to each one to, to give it more of a chance to grow rather than conclude this isn't quite going where I want. Let's move on to the next one. I appreciate you sharing that that conclusion. But then in conjunction with how you started that statement, stating that you're you know, that you 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 are an executive coach and you work with uh, folks who are, are leading either organizations or they're leading departments within an organization. You, you work with uh, you work with people on a daily basis. Do you find that not necessarily with the people that you work with, but folks who are part of much larger entities as companies continue to grow and change. Do you see that that's more common now where, where people wish that they would have maybe taken a risk a little bit sooner? Or, or do you find that people are generally OK kind of where they're at and and giving their time, energy and attention to, uh, you know, to the businesses that they're a part of now? Yeah, I, I think appetite for risk is is baked in uh, to most of us in the sense that some people have much more appetite for it than others. And I think at the same time, the last couple of years has uh, made most people very risk averse because the, the things that are happening, you know, you, there's bad enough things happening in the pandemic without taking more risks and taking some more chance for, for things to go wrong. You know, I, I do, I've studied neuroscience and neuroscience coaching. So I know that um, we, we are very risk averse. Human beings are very risk averse. We hate losing much more than we like winning. So uh, we'll tend to drop out rather than, than go for it if there is a, a sense that, that we could lose because losing is so unpleasant. It just seems to be the way that we're, we're made. And, and you know, that's how it is. 
And of course, in our evolution, that sort of risk would maybe risk death. Now it's it doesn't risk death, but somehow our brain hasn't distinguished between the risk of, of the, the company going down and, and the risk of being killed by a saber-toothed tiger or something like that. Well, you wrote a, you wrote a book about um, not necessarily just that, that use case that you're talking about. You wrote a book about, I don't want to mischaracterize the context in which, in which you wrote. So at least you have material uh, about coaching. There's a program. There's, there's content that you leverage in order to keep folks on the right track. And whether it's interpersonal communication, if it's relationships, if it's business development, if it's leadership, there's so many different directions that coaching can go. I mean, some of the best athletes on the planet obviously still have coaches and they're the best at what it is that they do. And even the best coaches have coaches, right? And I think that there's a confused, well, what folks sometimes get, uh, they blur the lines with is the difference between an advisor and a coach. And it's not necessarily just semantics. Quite frankly, it's a huge deal in terms of the difference between the two, because you could be, you know, coaching somebody that doesn't necessarily need tactical coaching. They just need more strategic consulting or, or, you know, the difference between the two. So I'd love to I'd love to kind of get your take on potentially a, a use case where somebody could have used strategic coaching as opposed to tactical or vice versa. Or maybe, in you know, just your experience working with folks, maybe the miscalculation or the misdiagnosis, uh, so to speak, of what somebody needed, how well that worked out for them. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, in, in general, um, I mean, a coach is, is not an advisor. They don't give advice. They're there to help the person make their own decisions and to provide a time for reflection, because God knows these days you don't have much time to kind of to, to reflect on your own thinking. It's like, think, do, think, do. And, and that, of course, is going, is going to make for more mistakes. So um, one thing that I, I know that executives really appreciate about a coach is that time uh, just with someone non-judgmentally sits down saying, look, you know, how, how's it going? You know, tell me, tell me how it's going. And then they can let it come out in a way that's much more uh reflexive and um open and then a coach will ask questions about what they're doing and there's a saying in coaching circles that uh, the problem is not the problem the problem is the way that you're thinking about the problem so the the questions then from a coach are going to mostly hone into how is this person thinking about this particular issue in order that it's becoming a problem now, if they've made a mistake, then they'll want to correct that in the best way. Um, if they've made a, a series of decisions that haven't gone well, they'll want to look at their next one, but they'll want to treat it, and as indeed they should, as part of a series and not just a one-off. So, you know, what was it about the decision-making process in the past that uh, led to those decisions, not you know, the results of those decisions not being very good. So how can we fix then the decision-making process so that the decisions in the future are going to be better? And that's a more generative approach. So you could call that strategic, you know, that the question there would be, what is it about, let's look at your decision-making strategy, regardless of content, and see what sort of things you take into account and how you do it. Uh, as opposed to, okay, well, that decision didn't go well. Let's take a look at that decision and, and see how we could tweak it or, or correct it or something like that. That would be more tactical. Yeah, that, well, I appreciate the, the explaining the difference between the two. It's even, I like how you, you isolate it, that in today's world, it seems as if it's think, do, or 
I don't even know if there's much thinking before doing right. There's there's it's more execute, iterate, execute, iterate, execute, iterate, it seems like. And the world that I came from, that's not necessarily akin to high quality critical thinking environments or it's it's not necessarily a a good if your outcomes focused. That's not necessarily the best process to get to the outcome that you w- would like to to have. That's a a very mature outcome process, you know, where where folks can participate in the benefits of that of that process, so to speak. So, let's real quick. I know that I know that we're kind of uh, running up against it in terms of time. Let's talk real quick just about how you got to this point to where you are helping folks through the coaching process, doing what it is that you do. And, you know, let's just say something resonated with some of the folks who are listening to today. What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn and I have a website, coachingthebrain.com, because I'm I'm uh, interested in, in neuroscience coaching. I mean, what, what I was talking about before, you know, moving on to the next thing, that's not all bad. It's It's good in the sense that I'm curious about what's going on. I look for gaps. You know, what isn't being talked about, what isn't being seen in this market that is interesting and that we can get on with. So if people want to get in touch with me, they can on that. And uh, I'm very happy to share that. What got you interested in in this? Was it was there an event or was it a series of events that that led you to this discovery of, you know, the development of a myelin in the brain or a wife, you know, a certain type of personality trait? you know, leads to either business success or personal relationships. They're able to do team building. What, what was it about people or, or things that, that led you to what you're doing now? Because I, I think it's fascinating, by the way. The coaching of the brain is a fascinating concept. Yeah, I mean, my first career was, was actually I was a, a concert classical guitarist. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, I used to teach as well. And I found that the, the best people... What I was what I was showing them was not about how to play well. They they knew how to play well and they could play extremely well on their own. But it was the stress of actually performing in front of other people and the same for myself. So in terms of um, coaching, uh, and I didn't know coaching when I was doing that, it's like the same sorts of things apply. And it doesn't matter whether you are in front of a, a large group of people and you're playing the guitar to them or whether you're in front of a large group of people and you're making a business presentation, or you're just in front of one person and you're making a business presentation, there's stress. And to be able to handle that and to give your best, even give better than your the usual best, that's, I think, the, the mark of, of uh, someone who really gets ahead. We all make mistakes. But, you know, again, if you go to the, the performance arts, and I'm thinking tennis here, every good tennis player will make a mistake but the best tennis players are the one at the critical points where they are absolutely focused and they're absolutely there and they win those they can give away some of the others that's okay but they win the crucial ones and that's what matters everything always comes back to tennis with uh, with folks from, from england <laughs> doesn't it? I'm kidding. I'm teasing. There, it's a good yeah. metaphor for life. Yeah. It really, I mean, it really is. It's it's fascinating when you when you look at the accumulation of points and then those points and how it works and the back and forth and you don't really win a point until you until you beat them by two in a in a set. Or excuse me, a, you know what I'm saying. So if you're listening to this and you you understand how tennis works, it's 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 actually a fascinating accumulation of scores. So all right, so you had said LinkedIn and then your website. Say the website one more time, just so folks can can get it. Yeah, it's um, coachingthebrain.com. Very easy to remember. Coaching the brain. There you go. Did I uh, credit you with authoring a book called Coaching the Brain too? Uh, incorrectly or absolutely. 
Okay, you did. All right, that's what I thought. Okay, I did. I've done my homework. Come on now. Now, maybe I'm misremembering. (laughs) All right, here we go. So when it comes to coaching the brain, if there's something that uh, Joseph touched on that, you know, resonates with you, if you're interested in in those things and performance coaching and, and all of those related type items, my suggestion is, is get in touch with them. Didn't cost you anything to listen to this episode. So that would be essentially the price of admission. Go check out Joseph or go to LinkedIn and go connect with him and talk to him uh, and reach out to him or potentially go to the website and take a peek at the best way to coach the brain. So Joseph, I appreciate you taking some time. Any, anything else that you want to leave these folks with? I just want to say this. I don't know how it fits in. Sure. You know, we're talking about making mistakes. I think I've made more mistakes by saying yes to things than by saying no. Interesting. And I think that certainly now more and more with, with just so much going on, the, the skill of being able to be really clear about your priorities and being able to say no to something, even though it may be attractive, is really great. And it keeps focus and it keeps you out of trouble. That's something I've learned anyway. That's a, I mean, it's a great disclaimer there for folks who are over eager to jump into something, you know, given your point about how you act and iterate, act and iterate, uh, you could save yourself a tremendous amount of, of heartache by learning when the appropriate time to say no is. So I, I appreciate that. That's a great, uh, great way to wrap for today. Uh, for those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, essentially we got new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. So Joseph, we appreciate you taking some time. Please be safe. Take care uh, over there in the great country of England, the United Kingdom, that island that everybody loves to ridicule over here in America. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that island that we admire uh, so much over here. So we appreciate you. Have a good rest of the day. Take care, y'all. Thanks, Stephen. You bet.